Now, imagine that you're a football player. Anybody have a hard time imagining that? Anybody like, I can imagine it. I've been there. This is my, this is my deal. Imagine you're a new football player. So you have played flag football. You understand how the game works. You know some rules. You've watched some games. You've talked to some other football players. You've hung out with other players. You've learned how to throw the ball, how to catch the ball, how to run with the ball, what to do with the ball. You've, and now it's time for the real game. Tackle football. The real game. And so you get off the bench. You cross over the sidelines and you walk onto that field. You start to play and you think, this is it. I'm finally playing football, and then wham, <laughs> you get hit, you get hit, tackled, clobbered, slammed into, and, and taken down, and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good, and maybe you think, was this what I signed up for? And last week, we talked about the game as a metaphor for the spiritual life with God as coach and us as players. And we're, we're part of this big thing that God is doing. And sometimes we sign on to the Christian life. We, we have this sense of, I'm, I'm joining in the game. I'm, I've made a commitment. I've prayed the prayer. I've raised my hand. I, I felt something. But then, wham! A test comes you get clobbered, you get tackled, and you think, wait a minute, do I really want to play this game? In our series, The Big Game, we're talking about life as a Christian. Just some of the basics of what does it mean to actually live like a Christian. This, the most important game you're ever going to play is this game of life. The most important game you're ever going to play is this game of doing life with Jesus or without Jesus. And you definitely, church, want to be on God's team. So last week we talked about this moment of decision. Moses was at the burning bush and God, it was like God called him over to the sidelines and God said, all right, Moses, I've called you off the bench. You're on the sidelines. I'm ready to send you in the game. Are you ready to go? And Moses says, no. Last week was this moment of decision this decision on if you're going to enter into the game or not. And this week, we're talking about a moment of deepening, developing grit, developing resilience. And we want to develop grit and resilience instead of turning back and running back off the field. James 1-2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Pure joy, the Bible's ridiculous sometimes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. How many of you would say, I would prefer to remain immature, please? And I want to tell you that there are many accounts in the Bible about Moses and different experiences of deepening and resilience that happen. But first, there's some things you need to know. In this game of life, there is an opponent. There is a battle, real-life battles that engage the spiritual realm. 
And we need to develop resilience to play the game so that when we get tackled, we don't run off the field. One of the things I think is so important for us as Christians is to understand what depth and maturity looks like. One of the things that we talk about in our board meetings sometimes, I remember sharing this kind of from my heart a couple years ago saying, board, I need you to be the kind of people who, who just are prepared for adversity. We just know troubles are going to come. We're not shocked when crazy things happen. We're not uprooted when we have to make difficult decisions or walk through difficult seasons. We're like, all right, we just expect it to be hard because this is ministry, this is life, and we have an opponent out there. There is a spiritual battle that's being fought, and sometimes things are going to be hard. And I would say, church, we need Christians Christians who don't just run off the field whenever there is a, a problem, whenever you get knocked on the shoulder a little bit, we need Christians who will say, yeah, I got tackled. I guess that's kind of how the game works sometimes. I'm going to get up and keep going. We need more Christians who are deep. We need more Christians who are mature, more Christians who hold on to faith. So that brings us to our passage today. Last week we had Moses at the burning bush. Today we have the people of Israel who have left Egypt and they are coming, they are traveling out of Egypt going to the promised land. God had done a whole series of miracles and a whole series of, of ten plagues. You might be familiar with some of those stories of just incredible signs and wonders that God did to prove to the Israelites and to prove to the Egyptians who had enslaved them that God was powerful and God was demanding that Israel be set free. So we have then, where we are in this, in this journey is the Israelites have just recently left Egypt. They've, they've gone camping for a few days, and they are heading toward the land that's the new place that God is going to give them. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. They think, we are strong, we are powerful, we have escaped from the Egyptians, we are ready to go there. You know that first day when you're on a road trip, and this is, the, this is early on, and they're excited, they haven't gotten tired and struggled yet. They are armed for battle, but God already, while they feel strong, God already knows their weaknesses. He already knows where they're vulnerable. They don't feel it yet, they feel strong right now, but God already knows their vulnerabilities better than they do. So he takes them on a different route. He says, we're not going to go the short way. We're going to take the long way because otherwise they might turn back. Sometimes God takes us on a longer path because we're mentally, emotionally, and spiritually unprepared. We're immature at this point, and he wants to develop us and grow us and build our spiritual muscle. One football resilience trainer says that there's actually a lot out there about building resilience in football. And one football resilience trainer says, some, some football influencers will say, you got to get up at 4 a.m. to prove that you're tough. Or you need to just prove your mental toughness. And, and he says it's not just mental toughness. It's not just doing extreme things like that to challenge yourself. In its simplest form, resilience in football is being able to adapt to an undesirable situation as quickly as possible. Game's not going how you want it to go? 
all right, can we adapt as a team? Can we rally? Can we change course? Can we rally our own selves and our own minds and get our heads in the game? Can we redo our strategy? Resilience is about being able to adapt to an undesirable situation as quickly as possible. Here's point number one about resilience. Number one, resilience is something God wants for you. Yes, God cares us, knows us, loves us in our weakness. We're always going to be weak in some ways before God. But God is interested in growing you. He's interested in helping you mature. He's interested in saying, hey, this is an area where you, you need to grow up a little bit. I want to help you build some muscle here. God wants to deepen you, which means changing you, not letting you stay comfortable all the time. Here's what happens in the, in the passage. Exodus chapter 13, verse 20. After leaving Sukkot, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Isn't that so cool? That's so cool. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So cool. The presence of God is physically visible to the people. And then we jump down to chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back. Wait, what did he say? The Lord said, Tell the Israelites to what? Turn back. And encamp near Piharaihoth, between Migdal and the sea, they are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. I'm not going to take the time to show you a map to show you where these things are on the map to show you how they backtrack. The point here is that God said, I'm going to have you go backward. We're going to backtrack this direction you just came. We're going to turn back. We're going to go back there. And team, this is a game strategy. This is a game strategy. This is a big fake. We're going to fake Pharaoh out. Just like, in, like a quarterback would fake handling, handing the ball to a running back, but instead would pass the, field, pass the ball in the other direction down the field. This is a big fake. And so they're trying to trick Pharaoh to think that they're confused and they're stuck and they're, they don't know where they're going. Verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. This is a lot of chariots. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Piharayahath, opposite Baal Zephon. Now, listen to this part. This is the part I want to focus on today. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached... The Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. 
and cried out to the Lord. To the north are the, are the Philistines. God had the, the, another enemy that would attack them. To, to the south is the desert. You're going to die if you go into the desert. To, to the west, to the west, <laughs> you've got Pharaoh coming after you, and the only other way east is water. They are hemmed in. They, they, they are being closed in upon by Pharaoh, and they completely lose their perspective. They are trapped. They are stuck. They, it feels completely impossible. They, they feel the claustrophobia of enemies on every side, and they completely lose their perspective. Verse 11, they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They said, Moses, slavery is better. Moses, we tried to tell you we would rather be slaves than be free. Moses, didn't we tell you that this would be a problem? And they say, were there no graves in Egypt? This is an ironic kind of joke because Egypt was known for its graves. They specialized in graves. Think mummies and all the Egyptian burial things that we know lots about. About three quarters of the ancient land of Egypt was available for grave sites. Like, they knew graves in Egypt. And the Israelites are convinced that Moses has failed them. They're convinced that God has failed them. This God who, this whole like burning bush thing, whatever, this isn't going to work. And they fixate on the present. They fixate on the present. They forget the past. They remember the wrong things. Oh, they're remembering, all right. They're, they're remembering, they're rem but they're remembering the wrong things. They forgot the burning bush. They forgot plague number one. They forgot plague number two, plague number three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine. There were ten plagues that God miraculously delivered them from. They forgot Passover. They forgot the pillar of cloud. They forgot the pillar of fire. They forgot what they needed to forget and are focusing on what they needed to not focus on. They need to fix their focus. We do this too. We do this too. We forget all the things God has done. We forget all the deliverance that God has worked in our lives. We forget all of the times when we have known that God has worked in our lives, and we fixate on that Red Sea, that Red Sea that's in front of us, that impossible Red Sea. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Stand how? Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You, what does he say you need to do? You need only to be still. Moses says, okay, okay, team. We're getting ready to make a play here. They're coming at us. We've got this. We got, we got to, we're going to make a play here. It's time to do a spiritual workout. It's time to exercise those trust muscles, those T muscles. It's time for strength training in your faith. 
Do you, know, do you know that you have trust muscles inside of you? You've got, you got trust muscles. This isn't, this isn't in your physiology classes, not bi in biology, but you've got some trust muscles in you. You've got trust muscles right here, dealing with your heart. You've got some trust muscles in, in your mind where you have to say, all right, choosing to trust, choosing to trust, choosing to believe that God is, God is good and that God's strong, choosing to trust that God's in charge. You got trust muscles in your hands and trust muscles in your feet. And when those trust muscles in your hands and your feet are working correctly, then you're, you have the strength to do the things you need to do. You got trust muscles in the pit of your stomach. You know, that when your stomach feels uneasy, that unsettled feeling in there, sometimes you just, those trust muscles help you find that calm and that confidence. You got trust muscles in your knees. They take you down so that you're on your knees when you need to be on your knees. We need to develop the trust muscles. That's what Moses says. It's, it's time for a strength training. Do muscles grow when you sit on a comfortable chair with your feet up and sit still? Muscles grow with resistance. Muscles grow with something pushing against you. Muscles grow with something making you uncomfortable. You can't grow a muscle unless you give it some opposition, and God wants to train you. Point number two is that resistance is resilience is developed through resistance. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, it says, We rejoice in our sufferings. Will you read this out loud with me? We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. We, as a culture, are so averse to suffering and pain that we will do anything to get rid of it. We, will, we ha make a beeline to the nearest pharmacy. We go, I don't know if you're a CVS person, a Walgreens person, a Meyer person. I don't know what your pharmacy is, but we will make our way there to buy painkillers. You can buy painkillers for your headaches, painkillers for your foot aches, painkillers for your muscle aches, painkillers for your stomach aches. You, we just have all these things that we do. I'm not saying don't use those things. I'm just saying that we are really committed to managing our pain. And when we're not... When, when, when we're kind of going off the deep end with some things, we start managing our pain with illicit means, with things that are, that are just going to make us worse, they, they, chemical substances that aren't going to help us. We use those things to help manage pain. We use in unhelpful, unhealthy relationships to manage our pain. Oh, I've got some pain going on. All right, I'm going to go make myself really dependent in an unhealthy way on another person. We, we do all sorts of crazy things to manage our pain. And we want to escape. We, we hurry, we rush to manage pain so we don't have to feel it. But as Christians, we need to understand pain is part of our maturing process. Pain is something that God uses to take us to another level, to teach us things, to help us understand where there's something in us that isn't right. Point number three, resilience grows as we stand firm and be still. So, the people are understandably freaking out. They see the dust cloud rising as Pharaoh's army and chariots are coming after him. They can hear the whinny of horses in the background. They know these horses. They cared for them in the stables. 
They know these chariots. They fix those wheels. They know that they have spikes on them. They know that, that they know what, the, what kind of armor and military gear these soldiers are coming with. They know this very, very well. They know exactly what kind of enemy they are facing. And Moses' answer to them is, stop worrying, stand firm, and be still. And they are pretty committed to believing that that's not going to work. But God is developing their trust muscles here. God's putting them through some strength training. Here's the thing. God is not asking the Israelites to do a miracle. You're facing things in your life. God isn't asking you to do the miracle. God's not asking the Israelites to do something impossible. God is not asking the Israelites to win the game. God's not asking you to do something impossible. God's not asking you to win the game. God is asking the Israelites to stand firm, to be still, and to do what he says. When we talk about resilience, we think, I think this all the time. I, I'm I just had a, a mentor correct me on this the other day. She's like, it's not about you being strong. We think resilience is about us being stronger. We think that we build resilience by working harder or being stronger. And honestly, that's what we want. We want to feel strong because it feels better when we feel strong. I hate it when I'm in, in a position of feeling weak. I don't like that feeling. And we think that, I want more resilience so I can be strong. And I'm going to be strong by just working harder and trying harder and, and going after it. But God says that resilience is built as we trust harder. Spiritual resilience, Christian resilience, comes as we learn to stand firm in our confidence in who God is. Christian resilience is built as we stand firm by holding on to the belief that God will reveal a way when it's time. God says that resilience is built as we wait in faith, not rushing ahead. The Bible's full of people who rush ahead and try to get, do God's job for him. God says, nope, it's not how it's going to work. We think that if we grow in resistance, we're going to feel stronger. But the kind of godly resistance that God wants us to grow in is not necessarily for you to feel stronger. The kind of godly resistance, the kind of godly resilience God wants to grow in you is less of a focus on you feeling stronger and more of a focus on you growing your trust muscles. And as we build those trust muscles, because we don't have to be the strong saviors of the world, we can say, even as we, build, as we are building trust muscles, we can say things like, but God, I am confused. But God, I am terrified of those Egyptians. I know those Egyptians. God, I, I really, really don't want to face those Egyptians again. God, I do not understand. This, God, this feels impossible to me. There is, there's desert, there's Philistines, there's Egyptians, and there's water. And God, this looks impossible. Trust muscles allow us to pray things like this. Trust muscles mean we can say, God, I don't understand what you are doing right now. And God, I don't like it. But I trust you. Trust muscles allow us to say, God, I am hurt. I feel wounded. I don't know how to heal. But I'm going to keep trusting you. Trust muscles say, God, I am angry. But I'm not walking off the field. I'm not leaving the game. I'm with you. I'm angry. Help me. 
Stress muscles might even say, like Jesus did, God, why have you forsaken me? You see, this is what God wants to grow in us. This is what resilience is. Resilience is, is not just saying, I'm an overcomer, I'm strong enough. It's about saying, I am not strong enough, but my God is. I am not strong enough, but I hold on to God despite this, and I trust him to somehow work this out in my lifetime or not in my lifetime. I don't know, but I trust him that he's doing something bigger in this game of life. So Moses tells the people, stand firm, be still. Then listen to what the Lord says, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Tell the Israelites, move on. Raise your staff Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And I just, I laugh when I read this because I have to think, Moses probably heard these words and he's like, oh yeah, of course. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> but God says, it's time to move on. This is what we're going to do. Number four, church resilience grows as we move on. When we come to a truly impossible situation, often if we'll just take the next step of obedience, the next thing God wants us to do, even though you know it's not going to fix everything, you just take that next step, you'll find that God then opens the door for the next step, and the next step, and the next step, and pretty soon you find you are in the middle of the Red Sea, and there are walls of water on either side of you, and you are passing through. Resilience grows as we move on. Some of you need to hear the message today to quit Egypt, to quit something. I'm not talking about quitting the good stuff. I'm not talking about quitting your Christian friends. I'm not talking about quitting your church. I'm not talking about quitting your commitments and responsibilities. These are all things worth fighting for. I'm talking about quitting Egypt. The, the sin and death the things that are holding you to your slavery past. Some of you are trying to do the Christian life and play the Christian game of life while still holding on to a little bit of Egypt in your other hand. And some of you st want to stay in Egypt or go back to Egypt because it's familiar. Even though freedom is before you and there's, there's goodness if you just walk into this promised land, but you're afraid of the freedom because the slavery is familiar and at least you understand it. Like you don't understand the freedom. This is whole thing, walking through the Red Sea thing is petrifying and at least you understand Egypt. But some of you need to hear today to quit Egypt and to really leave it behind you and to move on. Holding on to sin and death because they're comfortable. They're like comfortable, bad, old friends who try to keep you down. Maybe you've had friends like that at a time in your life, friends who hold you back, sins that hold you back, things that hold you back. It's time to let go of the Egypt in your heart and move on. Verse 19 then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them 
The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. So the position of, I love this picture, the position of God leading them, he goes before them, and then this, this presence of God moves and goes behind them and covers them from the back where their enemies are. I love that picture. Then verse 20, throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side so that neither went near the other all night long. Is that not cool? Night on one side, daylight on the other? So cool. I wish we could see this. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Can you imagine the courage it took to walk through those parted waters? The courage it took, not knowing what is holding those water walls up, not knowing if they're going to come down on you. Can you imagine the courage it took to walk through that Red Sea? The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. Also kind of cool. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. These Egyptians have had some experience with the Israelites' God, and they recognize his work. Verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Why does God do this so dramatically? Why doesn't God just finish off the Egyptians in Egypt? Why didn't God just put a ring of fire around Egypt so they couldn't leave? Why does he even harden Pharaoh's heart and have Pharaoh come after him? Why does he do this so dramatically? It's because he wants Israel to see. It's because he wants to strengthen their faith muscles. It's because he wants to help them know who he is, what he is doing among them, how strong he is, and what his, what his plans are for them. Don't forget this point, part. When the people encounter the Red Sea and the double threat of Pharaoh coming after them, they have the solution. They want to go back to Egypt. Let's give in. Let's go back to Egypt. And this pattern, if you read through the book of Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, 
you will see this pattern over and over and over again. The Israelites face resistance, and they do not have resilience. And over and over again, they say, let's go back to Egypt. We've got to build some spiritual muscle. Eventually, the next generation of Israelites learn from their parents who never do. They need to learn about their opposition. They need to learn about resilience. They needed to learn about who their opponent actually was. You see, as the Israelites are going through this journey, they're like, all right, the Red Sea, that's our problem. Clearly, this Red Sea is our problem. Egypt is our problem. The Philistines are our problem. Lack of water is the problem. Not having enough food is the problem. They've always got a new problem. They're always sure they know what the problem is. Moses is the problem. God is the problem. It's very clear to them what the problem is. Point number five is resilience grows when you understand who your opponent is and isn't. God is not your enemy. You need to understand that your opponent is not God. God is fighting for him. Stop fighting him. Exercise your trust muscles. Recognize that the people you're on the journey with also aren't your enemy. We're just trying to figure out how to like, get through this really stressful situation called life together. Understand who your opponent is and who your opponent isn't. Understand that even though there are some of these outside forces, what's really at work is some bigger move of the enemy to, to take over and to keep people from experiencing new life in Christ. They want to keep, the enemy wants to keep you from experiencing everything new, every new creation that God wants to do inside of you. Know who your opponent is and who your opponent is not. And so church, let's do this thing. Let's get in the game Let's jump in the game. We're not just going out on that field to mess around. We're not just going out in that field to play catch. We're going out onto this field to face an opponent, to follow the coach, to score for something worth fighting for. This game, this Christian life, is a game worth playing. It is a life worth living. It is a battle worth fighting for. It is muscles that are worth developing. Our God is a God worth following, and Jesus is a Savior worth everything. God is going to win. God is going to win this game, and you get to play it with him. So let's build our trust muscles in the Lord. Amen.